We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, Tommy's here today. He wrote a column on Hank Aaron. We didn't have a chance to really get to that yesterday. I was saving it for Tommy. Um, So we'll talk about Hank Aaron today. More on Matt Stafford. Uh, If you missed the show with Cooley yesterday, I would urge you to go back and not only listen to the recaps of the two games, um, but to also... Uh, listen to the lengthy quarterback discussion, which started with Matt Stafford. Cooley believes it may ultimately, because of the um, incredible interest in Matt Stafford and the number of teams, it, the, the price may go to like two first-rounders, especially if you've got a later first-round pick, which Washington has. Washington doesn't have their typical early uh, first-round pick uh, this year. We've got a lot to get to today. Um, I... I I know you have something that you wanted to start with that you actually may be getting the vaccine yes. today. Yes. It's it's a bit complicated because nothing is simple in Florida, uh, you know, and uh, what we were doing was we were going, I mean, there would be notices that would pop up that at five o'clock in the morning, if you went on this website at a certain time, you might be able to get in to get an appointment. Now, we've done this like three or four times and have not been able to get in. Right. I mean, because, I mean, they've, they're screwing up this whole vaccine distribution thing. It's a mess. But I thought and, it was all uh, going to be fixed after last week. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit of time. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, when, when you're cleaning up a pile of trash, uh-huh. it takes more than a day. I got news for you. Government never works, regardless of administration, Democratic oh, or Republican. Bullshit. Government doesn't work very efficiently. But continue. Well, government does not work efficiently, but it works. Okay. I mean, the other one didn't work. Right. Okay. Well, they so. did. Well, they did get a vaccine pretty quickly, like in record time. A couple of them, actually. But go ahead. Actually, I don't. Th- I don't think they had anything to do with that. Okay. But go ahead. No, you might be right about that. I don't know who had okay. anything to do with it. Okay. I'm just saying that but, government yeah. worked actually in the last nine months. Government worked pretty quickly, or somebody worked pretty quickly to get vaccines, multiple vaccines in record time. It's insane if you think that government had anything to do with I have no idea. I have no idea who had anything to do with it. I I certainly would give Pfizer and Moderna and some of the others uh, a lot of credit for it. But I just know this, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a record amount of time that a vaccine was developed. Yes. Okay. Because we were dealing with the worst pandemic in 100 years. Right. 
shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad we were able, or somebody was able to put it together so quickly. Anyway, uh, have, so have you gone through all your Fox News points, or can I continue? No, those aren't Fox News points. You know me better than that. Okay. Th- those are just okay. uh, those are just my reactions. Like you, you, I, I would have told you had this been a Democratic administration. It, government typically doesn't work very quickly. I think that's true. I think typically, I agree bureauc- with you. Yeah, government. Th- that's my position. That's but my that, position. Look at that's what happens when you have a democratic society, and you of course. Tend to include people. Things will move slow. No doubt, it's a lot different than the <laughs> private sector and the you know prior to getting into broadcasting which is more like a government institution the previous <laughs> businesses that I were involved in were always much faster working it was well, because it's it's it, pretty much one guy says let's do this no, and everyone says okay it was it, well but <laughs> it, it's whether or not you had the right people along and they weren't looking for you know three t- three 15 minute breaks and an hour lunch and 9 to 5 hours you know, sometimes it takes a little bit more. You got to stay a little bit later than five o'clock to get the job done. Anyway, uh, what about so your vaccine? Are you going to get a vaccine? About government workers. <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, we got an appointment. <laughs> yeah. We have an appointment. So what does that mean? Uh, on Thursday. Yeah. But here's the rub. I mean, they have made a big point of saying you have to be a Florida resident, Ooh. which kind of seems a bit like first they didn't. And, and then apparently they had people like driving from other states to come to Florida to get it. I don't know why. I mean, it wasn't e- particularly easy to get it here. But they, uh, somebody complained to Governor DeSantis that there were people taking vaccine-cations where they were coming to Florida <laughs> to get the vaccine. I love that. Vaccine-cations. Yeah. So, vaccine so came out and said, well, now you got to be a Florida resident. Well, I mean, half the population down here this winter are from, you know, our snowbirds. Of course. You know, so, I mean, you, you can't really do that. So I'm kind of curious how this will unfold. We made our appointment, and uh, we, we're going to bring a copy of our lease with us. We're, we're leasing a property for two and a half months. That sounds like a know? Florida resident to me. And we've, we, we, we have a post office box. I get my mail down here now, you know. So we're, we're, and we're hoping we get to the point where uh, when we get up there and get the shot, we're not going to get some some lunatic who says, well, you're not a Florida resident. We're not going to give you the vaccine. Do you know which you vaccine know, so. you're going to get? Do you have any idea? No, I don't. Okay. I don't know. It, it could be the Looney Tunes vaccine for all I care. <laughs> well, I, I mean, really you know, the more and more you read about these secondary strains, like I was reading yesterday, and again, who the hell knows if this stuff is true or not, but the Moderna vaccine apparently is good for these, you know, these additional strains, you know, the UK strain that is now showing up, you know, throughout the country that apparently is much more transmissible, et cetera, um, versus the Pfizer vaccine versus whatever Johnson and Johnson has coming out. The Moderna and the Pfizer, I could be wrong about this too. I'm trying to follow it, but I'm not, you know, right now I'm not on the list that would qualify for an early vaccine. If if I if I drove by like a CVS or a Safeway pharmacy, which is the pharmacy I use, and I use a CVS too, but CVS the lines are way too long. Um, and they were in one of those situations where people didn't show up for their vaccines, and they say, "Hey, we've got some vaccine. You want it? I would take it. I would obviously take it." But I'm not, you know, I'm not on any list for it. 
um, because I'm, I'm at this point, you know, well below the age of and and the the condition. Although I don't feel great recently um, of of qualifying for it, but the Moderna requires the booster like a couple of months later, right? And I think the Pfizer does as well. Well, yeah, I think they both do. Yeah. And I read a I read a story on NPR yesterday that said when you get the first vaccine, it takes about 12 days for to really for the protection to to sink into your body. Yeah. And then you're only about 52% protected. Well, that's better than 0% vaccine, protected. Yes, yes it is. That's basically the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine it's higher than 52. About 52%. Oh, I thought it was yeah. higher than that. No, it's like a 50% uh, proposition. They don't tell you, they didn't tell you that for years. <laughs> Isn't uh, that interesting? Because I, you know, the perception is, oh, I got my flu shot. I'm not going to yeah. get the flu. But basically what they did is they just made it a coin flip. Well, you know what? I think it was sort of a coin flip anyway, wasn't it? I guess, yeah, you're right, because I've gotten the vaccine and gotten the flu the same year. What are the so. what are the chances of getting the flu in any given year? Obviously, age, condition, vulnerability, all of that plays into it. But for the average healthy 50-year-old, what is the, what are the chances that you're going to get the flu each year? Because if no, you're the guy with the, with the CDC source. I'm going to ask him. That's a good question. I want to write that one down. When I'm walking my dog tonight and I run into my CDC neighbors, um, percentage chance of getting the flu if you're relatively healthy. Uh, because, you know, I've never gotten a flu shot. Uh, and I knock, I, I knock on wood because there's a bit of superstition here in this um, and trying to prevent something. Uh, I've, I haven't gotten the flu in, I, don't, I can't remember getting the flu. The thing that I've gotten, I've told you this before, once or twice over the last 10 years is strep throat. I've had strep throat like twice. And that's, you know, an antibiotic, boom, done, see ya. Right. Um, I well, have not gotten the flu, but I, and, I, and I haven't gotten a flu shot. If you're telling me that a flu shot is 52% effective and there's still a 48% chance that if I come across it, in a 20% chance of maybe coming across it and contracting it, I, I don't, I'm not getting a flu shot. Why? What's it hurt? <laughs> well, I'm probably not going to get the flu anyway. You're right. But, it mean, doesn't I hurt. Mean, it doesn't it hurt. It doesn't hurt. Of course not. If you not. were going into a, if you were going Why into a Why are we doing poker, this? I went to, if I went you were going into a poker game. Yeah. And you had a device that would increase your chances of winning the hand by Ooh, 50%. sounds like cheating. Wouldn't you use it? No, because I'm Would not a cheater. I'm not a cheater. Oh, okay. <laughs> without cheating. Let's say without cheating. By the way, you'll be, pr you'll be proud of me. My son, my oldest son, and his cousin and a couple of friends, they were in Vegas the other night. They were at the Encore. And I see, oh and I see, the, um, I see a, a, a call coming through, and basically they want a quick tutorial on how to play craps. <laughs> So, you know, who are we going to call? Oh, we can call my dad. Call Kevin's dad. We can call my dad. He'll tell us how to play. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, Kevin. You know the funny thing about trying to explain craps to somebody without being in front of a craps table, it's not easy. Blackjack is much easier to explain. All you need is a deck of cards. And 
you know, over the years, I've taught my boys basic blackjack strategy and, you know, when and when not to double down and to take advantage of that opportunity. Craps is just much harder without, you know, a table, even though I've tried to tell them, look, it's not as hard as it appears to be. If it were, the people that crowd casinos and play the game, if it were really that hard, you wouldn't see half of those people there. It's like anything else. Once you learn it, uh, it's pretty easy. Anyway, I was the go-to father on the craps tutorial. I love these father-son stories. <laughs> they're so they're so heartwarming. It's like a field of dreams moment. You know, at the end of the movie, Kevin's son says to him, "Hey, Dad, you want to play some crafts?" <laughs> uh, it was funny. I was sitting there, and Carol walks by. She's like, "Who are you talking to?" And I said, uh, "Our son and several of his friends." Where are they? She had no idea. I go, "They're in Vegas. They're at the Encore. They're getting ready to go down to the casino." <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So. Uh, you want to talk about the games at all from Sunday? You haven't had a chance to weigh in on those. Well, uh, I mean, I picked – I remember I was on the podcast the last time saying the Packers will be up 21 to nothing before you come back from the bathroom. Yeah, that wasn't for, a good pick. first trip. So that didn't quite no. turn out to be the case. But uh, I guess I kind of underestimated Bruce Arian and his coaching staff uh, because that, that seemed – to have a big impact on the game compared to Matt LaFleur. Uh, it just seemed like Tampa, which really had not looked, I mean, they didn't look impressive in, against Washington. You know, they beat a New Orleans team that had a quarterback who couldn't throw more than 10 yards. I just didn't have the sense that Tampa really had what, what it took to do this. And the Packers seemed the closest thing to uh, a powerhouse in, in the NFC at this point. So what went wrong? You tell me what went wrong. Um, One of my favorite coaches, as you know, over the years, Todd Bowles, someone I would have thought about hiring when Washington had the opening last year as a head coach, even though he didn't have great success as a head coach in New York. I think he's really smart. Um, I think he's really aggressive. Um, And I think they faced – Green Bay faced uh, a a really good coordinator and a really good defense with some really good players on it too. And the funny thing is they were missing one of their best players, you know, the guy that's probably going to finish his runner-up to Chase Young in the Rookie of the Year defensively in Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, So I give Bowles and that defense the most credit. Brady was brilliant in the first half though. Um, you know, they, they, they converted on seven of their first eight third down attempts, and I think they were all throws. You know, Brady was on fire, and he had, you know, he had a, a third straight playoff game where guys were dropping balls left and right. Um, but it's just amazing to me. Like, it, you have to start with Todd Bowles because when you consider that Tom Brady threw three second-half interceptions and yet his team won, well, then they won with defense. You know, and it was the defense that stopped Aaron Rodgers on three drives. The first two were three and outs when they were down 28-23, and the last one at 31-23, he didn't get it in on the first three downs, and then Matt LaFleur stopped him on the fourth down by taking the ball out of his hands. But um, I really – I don't think Todd Bowles over the years is just – I think people in the game understand what he is and and how good he is. And I would love to see him get another head coaching job opportunity at some point because I think he really knows what he's doing. He just didn't have a quarterback in New York. But his defenses, Tommy, were really good in New York. No, you're right. Um, You're right. 
so anyway, now I, I have not talked to you, and you t- sometimes you tend to be contrarian about this, so you're kind of unpredictable. But uh, the Green Bay Drive, where they kicked the field goal instead of going for it, yeah, it, it was your... it was a hundred percent the wrong call. Um, okay. You, that's what, I mean, yeah, you can't when you have Aaron Rodgers, and then you're facing Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, so you know they're going to be aggressive. You, you, and if in the field position had a lot to do with it too. You're at the the, the eight yard line, so even if you miss, you know, you're there, you're gonna, you've got a better chance of getting it back in that kind of field position situation. Yeah, I thought it was the wrong call. Now, what I did say and you know, emphasize yesterday on the podcast with Cooley is that, and I've said this before in the past, like, I when announcers or even you know analysts uh, you know on TV talk about an eight point game as a as a one possession game a one score game, it might be, but it probably isn't, and that's the thing that uh, you know over the years like when you're down eight, I understand there's a chance you can tie it, but it's less than fifty fifty based on the two point conversion you know rate. If you right. just take the average, it's it's a little bit less than fifty fifty, which means more likely than not you're not going to tie the game in in a, in one possession. Which is whenever teams are down by eight, I always think, man, you got to go faster because you may need the ball back. You can't assume that this like so many teams you'll see down eight, they treat it as if this is a final drive to tie the game, and they shouldn't. And and I think that you know there are circumstances where kicking the field goal would have made sense. Not that one though, not the field position, not the the quarterback that you have, not the offense and and aggressiveness that Arians and Brady you knew would come back with. They weren't going to run it three times, you know, and punt it back to to Aaron Rodgers. That wasn't going to happen. So um, yeah, you, you go for it. Um, there, yeah. there was. Um, I think I mentioned this yesterday. There were two other instances over the last 10 years in the postseason where a team was down between four and eight points and kicked a field goal with five minutes or less. And one of them made total sense. And it was New Orleans was down 16 to eight against Seattle and had, I think, a fourth and 15 at the 30 yard line with 450 to go. You kicked the field goal there. You know, you, yes. you, you probably you, – getting the 4th and 15 is a long shot. Plus, the context of the game is 16-8, to eight, so the, it's a defensive game to begin with. The problem with the game the other day, too, is it's 28-23 or 31-23. Like, you're, you, no one's really stopped the other much at all. Although, again, you know, the two big possessions down 28-23 – uh, Tampa's defense came up really, really big. Um, I, uh, I, man, this Super Bowl's crazy. By the way, I, I, I was gonna save this for later um, if we had, if we needed something else, but I'm gonna get to it now because it's been a, an argument in my home, not with my son who was at the encore playing craps all night, but with another son who's really the big sports fan. Um, I've got two, three boys, you know, I, I've told you before. Two of them are massive sports fans, and then one of them just couldn't care less uh, about it. He was the one at the casino. He couldn't care less um, a, about these games. But my middle son is just an Aaron Rodgers guy. He loves Aaron Rodgers, and he just – all day yesterday when I got home. How can you say Brady's better than Rodgers? Okay, he's the greatest winner of all time at quarterback. But you've watched Aaron Rodgers. You've watched Tom Brady. How can you watch them play and say that Brady's better than Rodgers? 
He's not the only one that feels that way, you know? And so I'm going to ask you this, and then I'll answer it afterwards. If we took all of the winning and the championships out of the conversation and we just watched these guys play like we have for years, like who would you take? Like who's the guy that you would say, yeah, I want that guy in his prime to be my quarterback more than any other? If you if didn't you know about winning, the winning, if you didn't you take know winning out of it, yes, okay, and you're just talking about ability to play the position. That right. Well, this is easy. It's Jeff George. No. Why not? Because take the winning out. No, you're just talking about talent now. I'm not just talking about talent. I'm talking well, about the whole package. I'm talking about well, talent, you know smart. Well, you know the whole package thing. includes leadership. Winning. Well, that that includes winning. Uh, okay, but I'm asking for the purposes of base, just qualitatively, right? Take all the numbers out of it. You know, uh, look, your answer is an answer that would indicate he's the most gifted player you've ever seen at the position. But I, I want you to have spent the last, you know, 50 years of your football watching life watching these guys play and just not knowing what the results were in the postseason. How's that? Okay, so I'll just say you don't know what the results were in the postseason. Okay, it's Jeff, Dan Marina. He's certainly he's certainly near the top of my list. There's yeah, n- there's no Brady doubt about it. Way. Is is it? But for you, it's not Brady. I mean, uh, under those conditions, there he's not ahead of them. No, I sort of agree with that. You know, and I it, I I ended up in this long conversation with my son, and I'm like, look. I know what I'm watching when I watch Aaron Rodgers, too. He is special. Like, he's one of the four, five, six that have done it at a level that very, you know, that everybody else hasn't. You know, I I think Montana, who a lot of people would, you know, might answer that question with, I really think Montana was such, I think he was a great quarterback. I think he was a phenomenal clutch quarterback. But I also think he was such a perfect fit for the Bill Walsh West Coast system. Uh, Don't you offense. think Steve Young was a better quarterback than Joe Montana? You're you, you you're breaking up a little bit, so you're gonna have to move your position. But I don't want to stop this conversation or even edit it. But you've broken up a little bit uh, the last uh, couple of okay. comments. Um, you Don't asked you, you asked about Steve, Steve Young versus Young. Montana. In some ways, yeah. yeah. In some ways, yes. Like if I didn't know. How it turned out in the postseason for both of them, I don't know, Tommy. Montana was really spectacular. Elway and Marino would really be at the top of my list. Those are the two guys I've always felt in my football-watching life were just the whole packages, and for different reasons. You know, Marino's the quickest trigger, best arm, most accurate, unbelievable pocket presence, incredible leadership, incredible everything. And Elway was the same thing, but also had the incredible mobility. They were both incredible leaders, orchestrators. Um, Elway and, and Marino, for me... Well, I would have to include Johnny Unitas in any list like this, particularly when it comes to leadership skills. I mean, you know, I, I saw Unitas play. When I did the John Mackey book, I talked to players who played with Unitas who swear by him 
as, as a leader. So, I mean, I got to include Johnny Unitas at the top of my list as well. I, I can't on on the Unitas thing. It's I didn't see him. You know, I didn't see him when he was Unitas. You know, I I almost hesitate to say that I saw Sonny Jurgensen when Sonny was at his best because I don't remember Sonny when he was you know putting up massive numbers. Um, I remember Sonny Sonny at the very end of his career. I. I, I don't know, Tommy. It's weird because I also just, as we started to think about this, like Randall Cunningham, a, a couple of times watching him, I thought, I remember thinking watching Randall Cunningham, this dude is a total, you know, unicorn. Like th- we've never seen anything like Randall Cunningham before. You know, I'm talking about early and even when he got to Minnesota, but the th- but not winning enough has always kept Randall out of those kinds of conversations. And so, you know, and and we'd all almost have to say because we're we're not we're not, we're not excluding regular season that be hard for me to say that I would, you know, I would take somebody like Randall Cunningham ahead of Drew Brees or ahead of, you know, um uh, Peyton or or Montana or even Favre. Look, Favre. If you didn't know the the playoff losses, and there were plenty of them, you know, I don't even know what Favre's playoff career is. Favre was spectacular. I've never been a massive Favre fan, in in, in part because he would always make big mistakes in some of the biggest moments. Um, but I don't know, Elway and Marino for me, be, maybe in front of Brady, and maybe in front of Brady and Peyton. Yeah, and like, you know, uh, Pat Mahomes may wind up bypassing them all. I mean, because he does things I, I've, I've never seen a quarterback do uh, in, in, that I can remember. It's interesting. You mentioned Randall Cunningham. I think if Joe Gibbs was Randall Cunningham's coach, right. then I'll take Randall Cunningham over everybody else. <clears throat> you feel the same way about Randall. I think actually I've heard you oh, said I that do. to me before. I thought he- He's one of the greatest offensive players I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, he, he, and he, he played for Buddy Ryan, who had no interest in offense. Imagine if he had played for Gibbs. Yeah. Um, I, I think the short list for me would be Elway, Marino, Peyton, Brady, Rogers right now with Mahomes coming quickly. Young, I really think sometimes in these conversations, Roger Staubach doesn't get enough of his, uh, of of credit for being really the dual threat guy. Long before there were, I know Tarkington was a massive scrambler too, so I understand that. But Staubach was bigger, had a bigger arm. Um, Staubach also played on better teams. Tarkington played on some great teams in Minnesota, not not such yeah, great teams did. in New York, um, but. That's Elway was so like if you didn't know how many Super Bowls Elway lost, it'd be hard to think of many people that were greater than John Elway as a quarterback in the NFL. He had it all. He has he has historically one of the strongest arms in NFL history. He was super accurate. He was unbelievable as a pocket guy. Incredible in, as a playmaker. He was clutch. He was a great leader. He was phenomenal at the line of scrimmage. He processed quickly. All of those things. He had it all. Like Elway really had it all. 
you think about just watching Elway at his best, and I'm not talking about in the Super Bowls that he did win when they were running the football with with Shanahan. When when he was basically strapping that team to his back and taking it to Super Bowls and winning playoff games, including playoff games on the road, like in Cleveland, um, he was unbelievable in his prime. Unbelievable in his yeah. prime. Marino yes, was, was. Uh, Marino was unbelievable in his prime, but in a different way than Elway. So, like, when I – in watching Brady, if you told me if I didn't know what his playoff success was, I, the truth is there's no way I'd, I, I'd pick him over Elway or Marino. I wouldn't. And I would probably I think like my that. son thinks that Aaron Rodgers – you know, had more. I would say Aaron Rodgers probably had more success in the postseason than Brady did. I think. I think at some point when we consider he's played long enough, that, that this conversation will be about Pat Mahomes and Pat Mahomes only. <laughs> it might be. I it, mean, look, I, I watched the. Uh, I watched the playoff game, and my wife never doesn't care about football. Doesn't like football. Never watched it. Well, she watched the playoff game, the Chiefs game, uh, and the Bills. And she was mesmerized by Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, this, this is the people who don't watch football or watch this guy and say, this guy's amazing. I mean, that's, that's transcendent. I do remember very early in his first year of starting two years ago, we had just launched the podcast and you and I were doing it from chatter, you know, from Chadwick's and, yeah. um, it was like three weeks in, and he had thrown for some ridiculous number of touchdowns, and people were already putting him in the Hall of Fame. And you and I mocked it. We're like, can we, can we wait? Can we just see a few more games? You know, the truth is it really didn't take that many more games. No, it didn't. And when you watch the Chiefs play, you know, it's, it's, it's not even the same game that most of the rest of the league plays. Not even the same, not even the same, not even close. I know everyone's excited about Washington, and people are saying they're real close. Well, they may be real close to a certain point, but they ain't, they're not even in the same city when it comes to what the Chiefs do. By the way, I, just, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, the, the Chiefs are spectacular, and, and the reason yeah. is they have truly one of the most fear-inducing offensive skill position players that we've seen in years in, in Hill, and they've got the same in their quarterback. So they have quarterback, wide receiver, and then, oh, by the way, their tight end is yeah. elite, like Hall of Fame elite. You know, Mahomes' first three games, Tommy, that he started you know, the year after Alex Smith in 2018, um, four touchdown passes, six touchdown passes, three touchdown passes. He threw 13 touchdown passes and no interceptions in his first three games. And I, I'll never forget, there was a show, and, and people were like putting him in the Hall of Fame already. They were already saying, this guy may be one of the greatest we've ever seen. And you and I were both, oh, stop it. It's, it's three games. It's three games. And he really has been, I mean, it's unbelievable. And what's, it's been basically, you know, this is th- season three. And nobody's accomplished more individually than Patrick Mahomes in his first three seasons as a starter. Nobody has. 
It's ridiculous what he's done here in these first three years. He's threw 50 touchdown passes in 2018. He's thrown 114 touchdowns and 24 interceptions in three years of starting. That's just stunning. <laughs> that, that's arena football numbers. And let's not, let's not forget, he is a, an incredible runner, too. And everything yeah. he did last week, he did with turf toe, which apparently you're not supposed to be able to play with. Um, I'm, you know what though? I, I'm very much looking forward to the, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl matchup. I'm glad we got this one. I would have, wouldn't have minded, um, the Packers being in it. I think that would have been a great matchup too, but to see, I know everybody's focused on Brady versus Mahomes, the goat versus the kid. I, I really want to see what Bulls comes up with because I'll, I'll tell you what they have, you know what Washington didn't have to do. They didn't have to face Tampa with Devin White. He's a, he's he's so good. Um, anyway, uh, that's that's a conversation we could probably go on and on with, but we will cut it off there. Uh, up next, um, we'll get Tommy's thoughts on Matt Stafford. I have some information on John Allen. I want to share that with everybody when we come back. Right after this word from one of our sponsors, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm going to ask Tommy uh, about whether or not he thinks Washington should be aggressive going after Matt Stafford here in a moment. I'll update everybody on the poll that I did yesterday. Uh, But I wanted to just mention something about John Allen first. So a lot of people, Tommy, I did, I did a call segment this morning, which, you know, it was one of those where I could have done it for five hours um, consecutively where I just said, Matt Stafford, yes or no. And if it's yes, um, tell me how high you'd go in terms of compensation. And if it's no, what's, you know, what's your solution, a quarterback? A lot of people think, you know, Taylor Heineke's the solution or uh, Kyle Allen's the solution or Alex Smith is going to be much better next year or they should draft a quarterback. Um, that's all fine. Most of you know I would be aggressive in trying to get Matt Stafford. Now, I don't think Matt Stafford is going to get traded to Washington. I think he's going to get traded to an AFC team and I think it's going to be Indianapolis or New England. That's my personal opinion opinion. Um, I don't think Washington's going to have the draft capital to match up to some of the other teams that may be in the running for him. But anyway, so many of you have said, throw John Allen into the deal, throw Jonathan Allen into the deal. And I know why you're saying that because 
He's the one they've got to make a decision on in terms of paying him. You know, they they picked up the fifth year option on him, which means he's going to earn ten million bucks next year in his fifth year, um, and so he's under contract next year. Uh, but then, but they've got to pay him if they want to keep him. If not, he's an unrestricted free agent in twenty twenty two, and then you know he could potentially walk without getting anything back. And most of you look at Montez Sweat and Chase Young and Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis coming back, and some of the depth they have with you know guys like Tim Settle, and you say you know, that's a, a guy who's good enough that teams will want. And you can include into a, in a trade, and you know people will want him, and he's valuable. Um, but we've got better, and a lot of people. I think that's the mindset of a lot of fans. So a couple of things. Number one, keep in mind, because he does not have a contract that goes beyond next year, he's not that attractive as a trade target, unless you know you can sign him to a long-term deal. It's, you know, it's the same thing you got into with Trent Williams to to a certain extent. John Allen isn't just going to be thrown into a deal because he's so valuable and people are, oh, I'm getting John Allen, I'm getting a really good player that has one year left on his rookie deal. That's not going to happen, number one. Number two is this, and and I've learned this, and I knew this um, already, but I confirmed it after my radio show this morning. They love... John Allen, Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, they love John Allen. John Allen is the new culture. John Allen is everything they want in terms of representing the kind of culture they want this franchise to become. I'm telling you guys right now, if they trade John Allen, I would be very surprised. By the way, he's a good player. A really good player. And if you go back to the giant Super Bowl teams, the two teams that beat the Patriots, what did they have just plenty of? D-linemen, pass rushers, interior and exterior. John Allen's a good player. You know, is he Deron Payne physically, you know, gifted as, as Payne is? No, I think Payne could be, I think Payne has the talent to be a top three player at his position. I do. And I think Young's the same way. And I think Sweat's certainly a top five guy at his position potentially. And, you know, Settles, you know, gives him really good depth. Remember, they're not going to have Ryan Kerrigan next year on the outside anyway, on the, a, a, as a D-end um, sub. I just don't think they're they're going to move on from John Allen. I just think that they love John Allen, and I would wager much more on him signing a long term deal than being included in some sort of a trade. That that's the way I feel. I know they feel that way about him. Now, if you had a chance to get Deshaun Watson for three firsts a second, and they said we need John Allen, well, you might do that. Like, there may be a deal where John Allen's included where you have to part with a guy that you love. But they they are not planning on parting with John Allen. They're planning on, I think, signing John Allen eventually to a long-term deal. It's not an exaggeration, Tommy, to say that John Allen may be one of the favorites, if not the favorite player of the coaching staff, especially the head coach and the defensive coordinator. So, well... If, if Ron Rivera wants Jonathan Allen to stay, he's staying. That's, that's, that's what's going to happen. Because, and we haven't talked about this yet, the whole new front office, 
I mean, the, the hirings of Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew. I mean, I'm, this is like burying the lead. I really do think, for the first time in our memory, this has the best chance to succeed. Yeah, I, I think that that the the power. Look, I've covered enough sports teams to know how power works in front offices, and it's all about who do you owe your job to. Okay, this is I think one of the reasons uh, I'm speculating why Ron Rivera wasn't a particular Kyle Smith fan because he didn't hire him. You know, Kyle Smith doesn't owe his job to Ron Rivera. Hmm. Okay, Marty Herney does. Martin Mayhew does. Everybody has pretty much been hired since Rivera came here, owes their job to him. That means they're going to be loyal to him. And that's going to come into play if and when he has to have conflicts with the owner. I mean, before, it was always two-on-one. It was uh, it was Dan and Bruce against Gruden. It was Vinny and, and Dan against Zorn. I mean, Gibbs doesn't count. He was uh, a power structure unto himself. The last, you have to go back to Marty, really, to the balance of power yes. being so much in the hands of the coach as opposed to now. And I think, I think that, you know, by, by bringing all these people on board who are Ron Rivera guys, not Dan Snyder guys, even though Dan signs the check, I think this, this could be their best shot at actually overturning the culture in the building. Boys and girls, did you hear that? Did you hear Tommy's optimism? <laughs> oh, my God, are we going to have a new Tommy? You know, there was a moment a few years back where you were basically going to be on board with, with this team if they just started Colt McCoy. <laughs> if they had just gone the Colt McCoy route, you were going to be Mr. Positive. Um, I don't. I'll say what I said last week and whenever else about Herney and Mayhew. I know Mayhew's a really decent person, and I think he probably did a better job in Detroit than maybe the record indicates. I think Marty Herney should probably get more credit for the three divisional titles and the Super Bowl they lost to Denver. It was basically his team that he drafted. Um, but to me, it, I'm just going to keep coming back to the same things. For this franchise to succeed, and, and for me, it's always been not about, you know, every four or five years making the playoffs with a late season run. You know, I want I want a winner. I want five, six, seven, eight years of being in the playoffs for more than fifty percent of those years and two different times having a chance to make a deep run to maybe a Super Bowl. I want that. And the there's only you know, Marty Herney and Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew are really important to that, but not as important as the owner staying out of it, A, and getting a quarterback, B. You have to get, you got to keep Dan on the boat and away from all this, and you've got to go get the quarterback. You have to go get the quarterback. And Matt Stafford, to me, would be getting the quarterback that would give you a chance over a five year period to be a playoff team every year. You know, especially with. I agree with you. 
I agree with you, but I don't think, like you said, I don't think they're going to get Stafford either. I don't. Yeah, I don't uh, think it's going to happen. But I think they need to find. They, they've got to. This is a big off season, Tommy. You know, all that know. all that brain trust coming together. I guarantee you, on their to do list. Get, uh, solving the quarterback problem is way up there. Jeremy Fowler wrote yesterday, uh, according to all of the NFL execs that he's talked to, everybody's expecting Washington to be aggressive in trying to find a quarterback this year. You know, right. I, I know a lot of you want Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen, and I was impressed with Kyle Allen. And I was really impressed with Taylor Heineke in the playoff game. Taylor Heineke's played in three NFL games, and he's gotten he's gotten hurt in all three of them. Uh, he was an XFL quarterback, boys the, and girls. If if okay. either if either one of them led this team to a Super Bowl, they would become just the third undrafted player in NFL history to lead their team to a Super Bowl game, not a win necessarily. The game, Kurt Warner did it and won one of them, and Jake Delhomme did it. Ironically, in Carolina where Marty Herney at the time was the general manager, and Jake DeLome was the starting quarterback in that Super Bowl that they lost to the Patriots, 32-29. to I know that Scott Turner really likes Heineke and really likes Kyle Allen, and I think if they strike out on any of the, the guys that they, they, they go for, whether it's a Stafford or a Darnold or somebody else, or if there isn't somebody they love in the draft, I think they f- feel like they can be a competitive team next year with Allen and or Heineke. But you're not going to run five, six, seven years in a row with playoff games you know, virtually every year or being in the playoffs most of the time and having a chance to win it all or get there. I don't think, personally, I don't think with Heineke and or Allen. Now, again, I've I, s- think, I, I think I, I know I could be wrong on this. Either one of them could end up being Kurt Warner. They could. But the odds are against it. Yes. Yeah, and, and the quarterback, what it goes without saying, is very important, you know, to them being able to move forward. But I think that their chances of getting it right at quarterback, if not this year, at some point in the very immediate future, are significantly increased because of the brain with the trust. change in power. Okay. Yeah, well, if Snyder's not involved, I mean, this is this is just this is. I mean, it's not so much whether or not you think Mayhew or Herney are good talent evaluators. It's they're not Dan guys. Yeah, that's all that matters. Well, Rivera technically is a Dan guy. <laughs> well, he's, he is and he isn't. I know. Um, I I get it. No, you're right. You're you're abs- Look, you know, I would have felt really confident with Mike picking a quarterback. You know, and he pretty much did in picking Kirk Cousins in the in the fourth round. Um, you know, uh, but the bottom line is they stuck him with Donovan McNabb, and then you know he got RG three, and he wasn't against it. Um, but the owner got involved in that relationship. By the way, we even t- we didn't even talk about this last week. He got released. Do you think anybody's going to give him a chance? Yeah. I think he's done. Yeah, I think he is too. And then Haskins got signed by Pittsburgh. Yes. That's a good place for him. It's a great place for him. If he can't if yeah. he if he's not able to convince a guy that you can't fool, Mike Tomlin, that he is a different guy, uh, then no one's gonna buy into him. Nobody is. This yeah. is his chance. Maybe the last chance, amazingly. And by the way, that just that, that leads me to this, and then we'll get to your column. 
It is quite remarkable here on January 26th that the offseason is underway and Dwayne Haskins is not a part of the quarterback conversation at all. Like, just think about that for a moment, because regardless of what you thought of him and when he played this year, you know, the thought that he wasn't going to be a part of the conversation in January, I mean, we may have been saying, hey, there's a chance they're going to try to trade him here and maybe they'll cut him. <laughs> they cut him before the end of the season. Like, he's not a part so of the conversation. I'm sorry? And that is that is a, the Rivera thing. If, if Let's say the owner didn't draft Dwayne Haskins. Let's say they had a real general manager who had drafted Dwayne Haskins. He would have been here for four years, no matter what he did wrong. Yeah. Because general managers do not give up on their own draft picks. That's how it works. Yeah, but the question okay, is, so, would a good general manager have drafted Dwayne Haskins? No, Pro- probably that's not, not. Mike, I know, it probably wouldn't have happened. But if yeah. a general manager had drafted him, he'd still be the quarterback. But since the owner drafted him, and it was such a dysfunctional process, and it's such a self-destructive organization, he's out the door already. Yeah, but there was a time, and this is, you know, this would speak to maybe it's a different day, that because the owner picked him, he's not going for a few more years. Remember, I mean, eventually they got around, uh, you know, Jay Gruden got around to being able to bench RG3. Eventually, you know, we, they, they got around to benching Dwayne Haskins, you know, this year and or not giving him a legitimate shot. Eventually they got around to benching McNabb, but it wasn't, it was never easy. It was always the last, it was always when the owner sort of had no other choice. Like it was so obvious at that point. Yeah. Well, I just want to say the additions of Herney and Mayhew, I think, are the real positive sign, if you're a Washington football fan, that you might be able to change the culture, along with Jason Wright, in, in the building, uh, and, and just overwhelm Dan with decision-makers that he can't control. Well, I hope you're right. I mean, I... You know, you know, I love the Rivera hire, um, and I am optimistic about Rivera. And if we're just keeping the conversation to, let's just discuss the football operation and how it's changed, and you know, and and just for a moment, keep the owner or the owner's potential for fucking it up out of the conversation. I like what they have right now. It's a hell of a lot better than anything they've had in a while. Um, they've got yeah. real adults. Yeah, they've got some good football coaches. Um, they've got, you know, smart people. Um, you know, a lot of people will look at the resumes and say, well, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing thrilling about anybody's resume there, even Rivera's. And I, I buy into all that, but these are three guys that have done it and have had some success and know what they're doing. And you've had basically, you know, um, the, you know, two thirds of the stooges, you know, if, if you throw Vinny in there, you've had, yeah. You've you've had all you've had Larry Moe Curley all of them you know over the last twenty one years and it's been a disaster, a disaster. So if they if he leaves these guys alone, you know something could happen. You got to get the quarterback though, Tommy. Got to get a quarterback. I mean that's I mean that's just obvious. Uh, Brett Favre's playoff record was thirteen and eleven overall, but he threw thirty interceptions in twenty four playoff games. That's all. I guess that's a lot. Um. Had a lot of turnovers uh, in playoff games, but was 13-11. and 11. Uh, All right, when we come back, Tommy wrote a column about Hank Aaron, about the Hall of Fame. 
Um, we're going to get to that. Also, today is the anniversary of one of the biggest wins in Washington football team history. More on that, too, right after this word from one of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Twenty-nine years ago today, Tommy, Super Bowl twenty-six, Washington thirty-seven, Buffalo twenty-four at the Metrodome in Minneapolis, and I was there. I was there with the woman who would become my wife. We were not married. We weren't even engaged at that point, but we were dating, and we were in Minneapolis for the weekend, and it was a spectacular weekend. It it was one of those Super Bowls. Were you at that Super Bowl? I forget. No, that was before. That was right before I started working in sports. So that was a Super Bowl that many people feared. You know, the Detroit Super Bowl, which was 49ers Bengals, had like frigid temperatures and it was Detroit. They, it was there was nothing they could do. Minneapolis was different. They had the skyways, they had a bunch of events indoors, outdoors. It was a great weekend and obviously Washington beat Buffalo on that day 29 years ago. Uh, 37-24, you know, they built a 31-10 lead. They were 24 nothing early in the third quarter when Richie Pettibone told Kurt Govey at halftime, you're going to get an interception if you go right here on their first play. <laughs> Richie was the best. Richie knew everything before it happened, um, and they hammered um, Buffalo in that Super Bowl. Uh, and it was, to me, their best team, the 91 team. I don't even think it's close. Um, and I think it's among, if not the greatest Super Bowl, complete Super Bowl winning team of all time. We talked about Martin Mayhew, you know, being added to it. He was the starting cornerback opposite Daryl Green in that game. Uh, he was the starting cornerback opposite uh, Deion Sanders in college at Florida State. Martin Mayhew was was a, a is was was a guy that played with two of the all time greats at the position once in college, once in the pros, but. Um, that, that team to me was just such a special team. God, it was dominant. They, they shut out three teams in their first five games. Their defense was so good. Their offense ripping through the best deep ball in the game. He had a phenomenal year for the time. It's funny. It was 28 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. His completion percentage was only 59.1%, and he only threw for 3,564 yards. But Washington was very much a balanced team, too. You know, Ernest Biner went over um, uh, 1,000 yards that year. Rick 
Ricky Irvin's had 700. Gerald Riggs had 300 yards rushing. It was just such a great team with great skill position players and Monk and Sanders and Clark um, and unsung heroes on defense like you know uh, Brad Edwards who played safety. He was a he he was a the the free agent that's you know Plan B free agency uh, acquisition. Fred Stokes, Jumpy Gathers, he was yeah. an incredible pass rusher. Um, they were just Tim Johnson, Eric Williams. Tim Johnson, Eric Williams, uh, Wilbur Marshall was on that team and was really good. Andre Collins was really good on that team. Monty Coleman was, you know, at, getting towards the end of his career, but he was super effective. Kurt Govea was, you know, Richie Pettibone said one of the smartest players that played for him. They still had Charles Mann on that defense. They had Danny Copeland on that defense, number twenty-six. Brian Mitchell was a kick returner on that team. Uh, had two touchdowns on punt returns uh, that year, including in the opener against Detroit. Um, Dominant, dominant team with memorable games. The giant game during that year when they played the defending champion Giants. Uh, Washington was 7-0. They were down 13-0 at halftime. One in the Meadowlands, 17-13. The Dallas game that they lost probably prevented the perfect season. Uh, And then the, the seat cushion game against the Falcons in the playoffs. Then they blew out the Lions and blew out the Bills 29 years ago. Um, Seems like yesterday. It was cold all week. I do remember that. It was like in the single digits most of the week and snowed constantly. But it was it was a great time. Uh, Minneapolis did it right. Two, two days later, I started working at the Washington Times. Wow. Covering sports. And since then, they've never been the same, the football team. No, they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh Anyway, uh, all right. You um, you wrote a column. Um, I, I did want to get your thoughts on on Hank Aaron. And as a you know as a, as a Hall of Fame voter, you, you wrote a column which I want you to get to. But overall, and I and I had um, I had Richard Justice on the show yesterday. He wrote a really good column, Tommy, on Martin Mayhew. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, um, I read that. It was very good. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, tell me about Hank Aaron and what he meant to baseball, what he meant to sports, what he meant to culture? Well, I mean, I refer to him as a head of state in my column, and he kind of was like that. You know, he was like treated like a head of state. I always use this term, baseball royalty. Well, Hank was right at the top. A lot of people will argue that Willie Mays is perhaps the greatest uh, ball player of all time, but Hank Aaron's got the numbers to back him up. He still owns three or four major league career records long after he's since retired. Uh, But uh, it wasn't just the way he played, but how he carried himself. Every encounter that everybody I know has ever had with Hank Aaron came away saying what a gracious, polite, and intelligent guy he was to deal with. I, I interviewed him a couple of times at World Series because, you know, they instituted this Hank Aaron Award for the best offensive player in the American and the National Leagues. And uh, he was always great to talk to. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, every, he knew that people, you know, like melted around Hank Aaron. Like they felt intimidated being around Hank Aaron because he was, he was the guy who passed Babe Ruth. You know, I mean, and yeah. the old generation grew up watching that, that home run that Al Downing gave up to him. Uh, to pass through, and he never came across in any dealings like a guy who who had that kind of power 
over people. You know, the great thing about Hank Aaron is he was a Cleveland Browns fan. And he was a Browns fan because he loved the Browns early on because they signed so many black players. Right. Early in early in, in their development. Was he friendly you know, like, was he friendly with Jim Brown and Bobby Mitchell, and then from that era, Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali. Was he friendly with all those guys? Was he a part of that group? I'm not sure he was. Okay. I, I'm not sure he was. Uh, but the story about the Browns is Ernie, of course, he tells this, tells this story when he was working for the Browns. He saw him at, at, at a training camp once and went over and talked to him. And it turns out uh, at, when he could, he would – fly home, fly, fly to Cleveland to watch Browns games, and he'd buy a ticket, and he would sit in the dog pound. And Ernie, of course, he said to him, you know, Hank, we can do a lot better than that. We can get you a lot better. He said, no, that's where I want to be. <laughs> so he would, yeah. he would quietly come and watch Browns games. But that's who he was. Right. You know, he was Hank Aaron, and he just, he just, and, and to, to stand next to him and to see, like, he wasn't this giant of a guy, he was average at best, you know, and you'd say, how did this guy hit 755 home runs, these great wrists that he had, uh, these powerful wrists, he was just, he was baseball, the epitome of baseball royalty. Um, so, and, and, and my column, and so my yeah, column, get to your I, column, I, you, you don't want, I mean, two days, yeah. two days, three days after he passes away, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame voters, which will be announced tonight, will be, you know, they'll be announcing the results of, of their voting, which took place before December 31st. But I thought how, how, how shameful it would be if they happened to uh, vote Barry Bonds in to the Hall of Fame on the heels of the death of Hank Aaron. It would seem such an insult in, in, in so many ways because... Look, Aaron had no use for Bonds. He knew he was a cheater, you know, like like Frank did, Robinson did, and all the other guys from that generation. They had no use for Bonds. They didn't want to be anywhere near him. And uh, there's a slight chance because it's such a weak Hall of Fame ballot that Hank, that Bob Barry Bonds will get into Cooperstown this time, and that would really make it one of the most repugnant years that I can remember. Uh, for a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. For one thing, the Hall of Fame lost so many guys in the past 13 months. Yeah, you went through the list. I mean, God, it, and yeah. it does seem like every a few days, like a, a famous all-time you know athlete has passed away because you know Tommy. You know, we, we never talked about Lasorda. Don Sutton passed away recently. Um, you know, your all-time yeah, seven favorite. Guys, seven guys passed away last year. You had Lasorda and uh, and Sutton pass away uh, in the beginning of 2021. Right. I mean, it's and and so guys like Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan was part of the conscience of the Hall of Fame. He's the guy who wrote the letter a couple of years ago to baseball writers, urging them not to vote for these steroid guys. And he was speaking for the membership. They don't want Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens on that stage. And because it's a weak ballot with no obvious candidates. This represents their best chance, possibly, to get in. What I was, mean, if they don't get in this year, they got one more year after they, this. They weren't close last year or the year before, were they? Bonds and Clemens? Yeah, high, high 50s, 57%, 58%, maybe 61%. You need 75% to get in. But, I mean, you know, I mean, two years ago, Derek Jeter was on the ballot. Right. 
I mean, there's no Derek Jeter on the ballot this time around. I, I'm a generous Hall of Fame voter. I voted for only three guys. Who were the guys? Guys who I voted for before. I voted for Omar Vizquel, who's the greatest shortstop I've ever seen play. I voted for Billy Wagner, because now that the door has been pretty much wide open on closers getting in the Hall of Fame, Billy Wagner's one of the most dominant closers I've ever seen. And I voted for Jeff Kent, because he may be the top two or three power-hitting second baseman of all time. He drove in 100 runs eight times in his career. Uh, he has like over 1,500 RBIs for a second baseman. That's unheard of. Right. So those are the three guys I voted for. Uh, I didn't vote for any of the guys who have been linked to steroids. Not guys who I suspected used steroids. I draw the line like Bonds is an admitted steroid user. He admitted it in grand jury testimony. Uh, Clemens is named in the Mitchell report, which I consider to be far more credible than Roger Clemens's. Uh, claims that he didn't. Uh, Sosa was on a 2003 failed list, uh, drug test list that the New York Times published. Uh, Manny Ramirez failed multiple drug tests. Uh, so I didn't vote for anybody who I sat there and say, well, he looks like he used steroids. I didn't do that. I voted for guys who, based on the evidence, circumstantial evidence available, that I know use steroids, which is real. It's, it's not that hard, you know? But, I mean, people say, well, everybody used them. I say, well, I don't know about everybody else. Yeah. I know about these guys. I mean, I think that's a reasonable approach. Like, it's, you know, <clears throat> these are the ones I absolutely definitive. everybody knows did. Everybody else is rumored to have. But, yes. but But a lot of that evidence is circumstantial. So without, yes. a, without a conviction... They are still, they're still, you're still going to potentially vote for them. Real quickly on Viscell, Wagner, and Kent, will any one of the three get in if this is a no, weak year? They'll never, get, no, not this year or any year. Their, their votes just don't come close yeah. to uh, really getting the 75%. It's hard to get in the Hall of Fame. So 75%. predict, will Bonds or Clemens get in? I think they're both going to just fall short. I mean, uh, I think there's about. Forty percent of the, the voting has been made public right now, and uh, they are, they're like I seventy three and seventy two percent. But usually, when the when the the ballots of people who don't reveal theirs come in, they're usually anti Bonds or anti Clemens voters. Let me just point out one thing: I didn't vote for Kurt Schilling either, and it has nothing to do with steroids. He's on the ballot. He's on the ballot, and he may get in. Well, I mean. His numbers certainly would say he's a Hall of Famer, wouldn't they? Wouldn't well, his post his postseason post numbers season, are yeah. what would get him in. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to lower myself to vote for such a piece of garbage. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. I never. I didn't think I'd have to. Like mean, people say, well, you're talking about his politics. I mean, we could get into a real long discussion about this. But I'm just going to tell you how I feel. We're not talking about politics. Okay, what we went through in the last four years, that's not politics. I've seen politics, and that's not it. What Kurt Schilling talks about is not politics. It's basic humanity. You're either on one side or the other. And I'm not voting for a guy who's on the wrong side of humanity. I don't care what he's done. <laughs> of humanity. Well, also, yes. also, didn't he swindle a bunch of people with some of these businesses yeah, that he was in? Yeah, he blew $75 million yeah. Like state loan he got 
for some kind of uh, game company that he ran into the ground. I'll tell you what. So, I, yeah. I, do you think that bloody sock was really bloody or not? <laughs> I do. I give him credit for that. I'm kidding. Uh, but, um, uh, so I didn't vote for Kurt Schilling. And people would say, well, you're letting your political uh, viewpoints get into it. And I would say to him, that's not politics. You know, joking about hanging journalists a couple years ago after you saw what happened uh, to people who were attacked on Capitol Hill, that's not so funny. So Schilling's probably not going to be a guest at your Super Bowl party uh, in a few weeks. Um, all right. Uh, we are done for the day. Uh, that's it. Back tomorrow uh, to discuss the 20-year anniversary of one of, personally for me, one of the most difficult losses I've ever had to sit through of one of my favorite teams. Uh, that and a lot more. I'm sure we will have more football uh, to talk about as well. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, Tommy.